Exodus chapter 20. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself any carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. Let's pray. Father, help us to love you and keep your commandments. Lord, that's why we're here. We want to hear your law. We know we don't understand holiness. So we thank you for speaking from the mountain and telling us what you're about and what we ought to be about. Help us to be about right worship, to love you and worship you as we ought, as your people. Teach us to keep your commandments with thankfulness and proper awe. Free us now from distraction and help us to focus on your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as you may know, the Ten Commandments are in practice regarded as eight commandments by large swaths of the visible church. If you go to a Roman Catholic or Lutheran numbering of the commandments, you will see that the present commandment, what we call the second commandment, has been sidelined. This commandment does not even appear in Luther's small catechism in the section where people who learn the catechism, children are taught the Ten Commandments. They don't learn this commandment. They go straight from you shall have no other gods to you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In the present catechism of the Catholic Church, the exposition of this commandment is limited to a brief paragraph on why images are permitted in the church. Now that's astonishing because these commandments, the missing ones, the other one of course is the fourth commandment, as we call it, the Sabbath command. These missing commandments are crucial for understanding the character of God, especially this one, where God speaks specifically about himself. He says, I am a jealous God. And in a couple of weeks, we will spend the whole sermon looking just at what that means for God to be a jealous God. But clearly, God thinks he's saying something crucial about himself. And therefore, it behooves us to listen and hear what this is that makes God jealous. What we'll see, as I've already mentioned, the second commandment requires that God be worshipped exclusively on his own terms, not on ours. So positively, the commandment requires the worship of God on his own terms. First thing to see, what makes God jealous? Well, it's clear. What makes God jealous is to worship him by an image. He says, first, don't make the image. And then he says, 
don't bow down to the image. What sort of image are you not supposed to make? You shall not make for yourself any graven image. Graven, carved with a tool, means some kind of 3D representation. That's the graven image. And then God says specifically what not to make it like, or any likeness of anything that is in, and he names three domains, the heaven above, the earth beneath. Now, anything that's not in earth and not in heaven, you would say, well, that thing is not to be found anywhere. Earth and heaven are the two limits that span the known universe. And if it's not in either of those, it shouldn't be done at all. You shouldn't model it after anything there. But God adds a third domain, the subterranean waters, the water under the earth. In case you are thinking, well, I won't model it after anything in the sky, and I won't model it after anything on the land, but if I go deep into a cave, some subterranean cave, and there I find a lake or a stream with an eyeless fish inside it, there I can make an image of that thing, and I'm good. God names all three domains to say, no matter where you might possibly think of looking, whether you look up, whether you look down, whether you look straight ahead, that's all off limits. Doesn't matter. Heaven above, earth beneath, water under the earth. Clearly, it's a top-to-bottom portrayal of the known universe. None of these things is suitable to fashion as a graven image for worship. So the commandment has two parts. Don't make any likeness. Don't bow down to them or serve them. But the bulk of the commandment is given to describing the reason, or at least half the commandment. What is the reason? That God is a jealous God. And we're not here to judge others and say, oh, they use images, they don't obey God. We're here to look at ourselves and to say, what does God require of us? The practices of other Christians are not actually relevant to that question. As long as we're looking around at the rest of the world, even the rest of the church, and saying, well, if they're doing it, it must be okay, we've missed the point. Uh, Aaron makes the golden calf a few chapters later, and right, the whole visible people of God, everybody except Moses, who had the name of, name of God, is there dancing and worshiping the golden calf, including the high priest. That ought to legitimize it, but God says, no, no, you may not worship the golden calf. So, images are forbidden because God is a jealous God. God wants us, God cares about us, God maintains the exclusivity of his relationship with us. That's what jealousy means in brief. So his character, as he tells us, is that of a God who gets angry when his people go after graven images, and cuddle up with them. God doesn't think of this as a character flaw. I'm sorry, I just get a little jealous. 
This is not something he's apologetic about. Something where he admits, you know, this probably isn't reasonable, but it just makes me crazy when I see you. God is proud of his jealousy. And he describes it in very graphic terms. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. People who violate this commandment are described as God-haters. Another sign of how seriously God takes this particular commandment. Well, why does worshiping a graven image make God so jealous? What is it about the practice of using images that makes him so, as we would call it, upset, so viscerally reactive against those who do that? Well, the first reason is that he alone should be worshipped. As the first commandment already said, you shall have no other gods before me. When he sees you worshiping something that's not him, he's moved to wrath and jealousy because you're doing what he just said not to do, to have another God. So if you worship a likeness of God, a likeness of a saint, a likeness of an angel, something, anything in the heaven above, many people worship the sun, for instance, it powers all life on earth. Or those who worship something on the earth beneath, the cow, the sacred cow that you prostrate yourself before. Or in our culture, I worship that Oscar, I worship that Heisman Trophy, I worship that thing that symbolizes success and power and wealth and fame. Or the water under the earth. What do people worship down there? Never heard of anyone worshiping an eyeless fish, but the the earth powers... The gods of the underworld, Hades, Persephone, plenty of people call on these things and worship these gods of the underworld and have certainly in the time of Moses and down to this day. So God not only is the soul one to be worshipped, but he decides how he wants to be worshipped as we saw in Isaiah 1 and his statement, who has required this? at your hand. Who told you to do this? God says that. What is he saying? I'm the one who decides how I will be worshipped. Not you. So we've said already that each commandment posits the most egregious example of that class of sin. Thus, in the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery says, of all sexual sins, the worst is adultery. And so here, the second commandment says, of all sins against worship, the worst is to worship God by means of a graven image. How does that work? What does that look like? Well, to worship God by means of a graven image is best illustrated by the golden calf. Just a few chapters ahead. Aaron said to them, Break off the earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Chapter 32. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool. Graven image, anybody? And made a molded calf. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. 
not. This is the Egyptian bull god, Apis. This is some other god. No, Aaron specifically ascribes to the golden calf the feat of bringing them out of Egypt. Aaron says, here's an image of the God who just delivered you from Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it, and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to Yahweh. Right? He calls this calf by the name Yahweh. This is Yahweh your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Go ahead, people, worship it by an image. And they did. They rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And all God's people said, how wonderful. These people are so excited. They're really getting into it. The spirit of liberation from Egypt. Not. What's the next verse? The Lord said to Moses, go, get down for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. That's the classic case in Scripture of worshipping God by an image. Make a graven image, something on the earth beneath, the image of the bowl, powerful, mighty, don't tangle with the bull. And you say, this is Jehovah. This is Yahweh. He brought you out of the land of Egypt. God didn't want them to worship him that way. It's as simple as that. To worship is to ascribe strength to God. As we sang in Psalm 29, ascribe to him glory and render him honor and beauty of holiness Worship the Lord. And so if you are saying, well, this graven image is just a pass-through. It is a channel through which my adoration reaches God. God says, I reject that channel. That gate is closed. I don't accept worship that way. Just like you can say, well, I don't take Venmo. You can send me as much money as you want in Venmo. I don't have a Venmo account, so I won't get it. God doesn't take worship that's offered in a way that he has not authorized. God says right here that if you introduce worship innovations, if you say, I'll use an image, that'll be fine. I'll use dance. That'll be fine. I will do this or that or the other thing that I think would be pleasing to God and call it worship. God says he considers that to be hating him and that he will take it out on your children. Well, this is not the language of somebody who is mildly displeased. This is the language of someone who is absolutely furious to say, I hate that, and if you do that, that's a sign that you hate me, and I'll take it out on your children for the next three or four generations. I told you before about my neighbor, how he worked a 70-some hour shift in the oil fields, 
came home, dog tired, his front door is locked. Well, that's odd. He pounds on the door, and another guy opens it. <coughs> Who was there with his wife, having a little affair. Well, the neighbor told me, it's a good thing I wasn't carrying my gun that day. But God introduces that metaphor right into this commandment. The jealous husband, the jealous God. God sees you or me cuddled up with a graven image. He feels approximately the way any of us would feel to get to our own home and have some other guy open the door in his boxers. And you hear your wife from the kitchen say, Who is it, babe? And she's not saying it to you. God says that's his, that's his attitude toward worship innovations. And yet, this is the commandment that a majority of the world's professing Christians have chosen to all but erase from their catechetical teaching. It's absolutely stunning. And of all the commandments, the one where God says, to break this is to hate me. To break this is to have me take it out on your children for generations to come. This is the one that we silently pass over and ignore and say, don't have other gods. Don't take God's name in vain. Those are the important commandments from the first table. God has told us how to worship him. This is not hard. What does he require positively? Well, the first thing he requires is that we pay attention to his word. We read that this morning in Acts 20. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached to them and continued his speech till midnight. We saw it in Acts 2. They continued in the apostles' teaching. And so, in many other places... Nehemiah 5, Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood up. You stand up when the judge comes into the courtroom, but in a biblical worship service, you stand up when the Bible is opened up front. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshiped the Lord with their faces to the ground, so they read in the book in the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Old Testament worship, New Testament worship, doesn't matter. A key element is the proclamation of God's word. Reading it, explaining it. Second element, the sacraments. God says, well, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. Take this bread, drink this cup key part of what God wants us to do to honor and worship him. And of course, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that they do that when they come together. When you gather to worship, do this. Prayer. 1 Timothy 2, as Paul describes how to behave yourself in church, he says, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Pray in church. Now, clearly, we all know that prayer in church is something God desires. 
and song. Psalm 68, sing unto God, ye kingdoms of the earth. Sing praises to the Lord, to him who rides on the heavens, the ancient heavens. He sends out his voice, a mighty voice. Ascribe strength to God. His excellency is over Israel, and his strength is in the clouds. God wants us to sing, and that's why we do it. And finally, discipline. Where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. Where does Jesus say that? He says that when he says, tell it to the church if your brother has offended you and won't listen. Where two or three are gathered to go confront the brother, that's where Jesus is. Discipline is rightly part of the worship of the church. So all these things are things that we should be doing. You'll search the Bible in vain for multimedia presentations, art, whether that's painting, ceramics, banners, animal displays, the blessing of fish, riding motorcycles, having duels or sword fighting, various things that various churches have experimented with, worship dance. None of these is anywhere in Scripture is something that God wants us to do when we gather to worship Him. And to that end, their sins of the same class as making the golden calf. Worshiping God is not something we do with images, it's something we do with words. He gave us a book, not a picture book, not a movie. So what does God demand? What's the point of the commandment? Positively, worship God rightly. Now some have taken the prohibition against images to mean, aha, what's important is the heart. And I worship God then by thinking rightly about Him. And that's it. Now I can physically be in any position I want, but I'm worshiping God. I'm in my boat on the lake on Sunday morning. Or I'm lounging in my barca lounger in front of the television set, but my heart is very worshipful. And like all big lies, it has a good element of truth because God does demand the heart. But it's no good to say my heart is bowing before God when your body is not. When your body is off somewhere else doing something else. God demands right worship physically and spiritually, from the whole united person. Not just right worship from, well, my mind is in the right place, my heart is in the right place, but my body is in the right place too. That means doing the right things with your hands. What did Isaiah say? I won't accept your worship because your hands are full of blood. Your heart is not right if you're out murdering people all week. That should be fairly obvious. But whatever your false god is, if your body is bowing before that, or if your mind is bowing before that, your bake statement, or whatever it is, the command requires that heart and body be united in worshiping God in the way he commanded. Pretty simple. Yes, it's phrased negatively, but look at the blessing for those who love him and keep his commandments, those who worship him rightly, God says he shows steadfast love to thousands, perhaps even thousands of generations of those who do that. 
God's jealousy then is not just a negative force maintaining the boundaries and zapping those who go outside. It's a positive force rewarding those who love him and keep his commandments with steadfast love, with commitment, with delight. So what is the command telling us to do? Keep worshiping. Come and worship, come and worship, come and worship Christ, the newborn king, as we sing in our Christmas carol. Command tells us not to neglect worship, not to avoid worship, but to be here with the people of God, telling God how wonderful he is. Let's pray.